Exodus chapter 15. The Song of Moses and Miriam. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defence. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Until your people pass by, Lord. Until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, Lord, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns for ever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry land, dry ground. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Father, please do speak, we pray now, by your spirit through these words. Would you move our hearts to love you and obey you and adore you in response, we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. 
So do, friends, please open up Exodus 15, uh, either physically or on your electronic devices, page 72 to 73 uh, in the Church Bibles, Exodus chapter 15. And let me ask a question as we begin this evening. Uh, When uh, do you sing? When do you sing? Maybe you sing at home on your own. I'm often found uh, singing when I'm doing the hoovering, actually, so that no one can hear me. That's the way that, that's my little safety net. Maybe you sing at a sporting event, maybe a football match, where you're caught up in the emotions when your favourite player scores an 89th minute winner into the top corner, and you just can't help it. You're just caught up in the emotions, and you sing. Maybe your secret passion is karaoke or open mic nights. Maybe you're known to go belt along your sing-along anthem, whether ABBA or Oasis or Taylor Swift, whoever it might be. Maybe singing isn't really your thing, though, either, and that's okay, too. But actually, I think the time I sing the most is probably in church. And maybe that's the case for you too. Why is that? Singing on our own or in a group is still culturally quite an unusual thing to do, isn't it? Despite Gareth Malone's best efforts. So so, so why do God's people always sing when they get together? Because we instinctively sense that it's good to sing to God as well as we're being commanded to. Uh, We have things to celebrate, and singing helps us do that. That singing to him is a right way for us to express our delight in all he is and all he has done. And that's always been the way for God's people. And that's where we find ourselves this evening in Exodus chapter 15. Uh, God's people, the people of Israel, have been rescued from slavery in Egypt. That's taken the first 14 chapters of the book of Exodus we're jumping into. God, in his unwavering, unbreaking commitment to his people, has pledged to deliver them from slavery. He has come to their aid. He's unleashed fierce plagues that show his power in creation and his judgment on the Egyptians. God's people have just been saved through substitution. The blood of the lamb has been sprinkled on the doorframes so that the avenging angel has passed over them in the festival that bears that name. They've been saved through conquest. God has miraculously made a way for them to pass through the Red Sea on dry ground, while drowning the pursuing Egyptian army as the waters return. That's literally just what's happened. Look back to the previous chapter, Exodus 14, verses 29 and 30. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And immediately, what do God's people do in response? They sing about God's deliverance, his conquest over the Egyptians. You see, God's people are saved, and so they sing. Friends, we too, if we're believers in the Lord Jesus this evening, have been saved, delivered, rescued by God. He has conquered our enemies. We are saved. And so we should sing too. And Exodus chapter 15 gives us lyrics to sing this evening, to celebrate God's rescue of us, his conquest of our enemies. And I hope these words will encourage our hearts this evening to praise God. I don't know how your summer has been. Maybe you're a little bit kind of disoriented at the start of a new academic year. 
And the summer has been a time when it's been spiritually disrupted in so many ways, a, a change of normal life routine, maybe more time or, or less time, depending on how you structure your days. And spiritually, you, it's just been hard this summer. You're not quite sure kind of how your heart is this evening, but you know it's, it's just a bit flat. If that's you especially, I pray these words will encourage us and give us all words to praise our God tonight. But honestly, how how did you feel when you read Exodus 15 earlier? Maybe some of us were taken back to the school playground or raising our own children when we taught them the important lesson of winning well. See, what Moses, Miriam, and all Israel sing here can initially sound a little bit like they're rubbing the Egyptians' noses in it, can't it? Refusing to be a good winner. Phrases like, Pharaoh's chariots and his army he's hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea, verse 4. Can, at first hearing, sound like football fans, taunting the opposing team's fans. A raucous victory chant, a kind of early, you only sing when you're winning kind of vibe. I hope we'll see that although Israel is unashamedly celebrating Egypt's defeat, this is a good thing. It's not a case of bad manners, but rather a case of celebrating God's victory, God's defeat of his enemies. Maybe others of us felt a little different reaction to Exodus 15. We felt, honestly, it was a bit distasteful. We found the strong, the the military, the violent imagery at times hard to swallow. It made us uncomfortable especially against the backdrop of events in our world, like those awful events unfolding in Ukraine. Phrases like, both horse and his driver, he is hurled into the sea, sound far too aggressive for our comfort. And to make matters worse, it is clear that God is the one who's doing the fighting. He's described in imagery that we're not very familiar with. He is a warrior, verse 3, whose right hand is majestic in power and shatters the enemy, verse 6. Well, I hope we'll see that although these verses do celebrate the earthy, nitty-gritty, military defeat of Egypt, this is a good thing. God is pictured as a warrior who fights for his oppressed and beleaguered people. And this should cause us to lift our hearts in praise and worship, rather than feel uncomfortable. So can I suggest that rather than responding in those two ways, we should respond by warming up our voices. And getting ready to sing along to Exodus 15. If you like, think of these verses as an invitation to join a karaoke session with God's people then and through the ages, as together we sing of God's victory. We're not the first singers of this song. Verse 1, Moses and the Israelites in perfect harmony. Verse 20, with Miriam the prophet, uh, Aaron's uh, prophetess, Aaron's sister, and all the women have got there first. And the way the chapter kind of speaks shows us this is a song for for all God's people, therefore. Uh, Men and and women, uh, young and old, uh, UK resident or guest from another country. Uh, This is our song too. If you like, we can borrow these lyrics without without fear of being sued for breach of copyright. And actually, the way the chapter is structured suggests the song is already on repeat, Verse 21, with which the section ends, is almost identical to verse 1, isn't it? The, the, the song is being struck up again. It's one more time with feeling. 
that kind of idea. We're drawn into that repetition so that we too might sing it again tonight. So to help us, we're going to see there are two big movements this song makes to get us singing to God this evening. The first movement is concerns God's character. God's character, which is woven through the, this song, isn't it? And there are two sides to God's character we see especially highlighted here. Uh, firstly, God is the one who defeats his enemies. We can't avoid that. He triumphs over his foes. Again, verse 6, he shatters those who defy him and who oppress his people. See, when Israel was trapped by the shores of the Red Sea, hemmed in on the one hand between the sea and on the other hand between the advancing Egyptian army, we're given an insight into what Egypt was thinking. Verse 9, the enemy boasted, I will pursue them. I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword. My hand will defeat them. But God defeated them. He washed them away. Brought them to an end. His hand was more powerful than their hand. Yahweh, the the Lord, the, the true God of the Bible, is a warrior, we read, who has defeated the might of Egypt, triumphing over the best Egyptian shock troops. And in his overthrow, both horse and driver, Yahweh defeats, revealing verse 11 in a climactic statement that he is highly exalted, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. We said earlier that we might find this language and idea just a bit hard to swallow. But can I gently suggest that that probably says more about us than it does about God? See, my hunch is that if we were part of an oppressed people, our emotional response to this idea of God being a warrior would be different. Particularly, so imagine, imagine you are one of those Israelites growing up in slavery in Egypt. Every moment of every day has underlined your powerlessness, your lowly status, your sheer vulnerability. How you're at the mercy of a ruthless, cruel, tyrannical overlord. How your life could be snuffed out at any minute, simply at his whim. How all that your future holds, as far as you can see, is mindless, crushing, sapping slavery. If that's your experience, then you'll find it good news when you hear that there is a God who will fight for you, who who will contend for you, who will go to war to secure your freedom. And imagine you've just seen this very God before your eyes cast down those who with arrogance were seeking your life. You won't feel awkward about singing of God's deliverance, of his victory and conquest. That's because... Yahweh defeats his enemies. We meet here a God who defeats his enemies. And secondly, we meet a God who delivers his people. A God who delivers his people. You see, he calls his people out from slavery into liberty. He sets them free. He brings them out. He throws off their burdens. He defeats his enemies in order to save his people. Verse 2, in defeating Egypt, the Lord has become his people's salvation. 
And this was initially a very physical, tangible reality for the people of Israel, wasn't it? Verse 13 spells it out. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. They've been delivered from captivity in Egypt, rescued at a cost, set free now to enjoy God. Yahweh delivers his people. And friends, these two sides of God's character are still reasons for us to sing and celebrate tonight. See, God hasn't changed. He's still the God who defeats his enemies. He's still the God who delivers his people. And actually, we desperately need God to be this sort of God, don't we? So many films and TV shows in our culture today tap into just a general sense of helplessness, uh, where we're stuck and we need a hero to rescue us. Whether that's Black Widow or Batman or Bond or whoever your hero of choice is. Well, the Bible diagnoses that all of us by nature once were helpless, needing a hero. We were all once in slavery, held captive to a cruel and brutal tyrant. Once captive to the evil one, to the devil, the great enemy of God and enemy of God's people. Under his control and influence, enslaved to him, bound up with him in our foolish rebellion against our maker. And powerless to fix our situation. Unable to defeat the devil or rescue ourselves. We faced a bleak separation, a bleak future of separation from God in this life. Given over to self-destruction. An ultimate exclusion from God's goodness in a lost eternity. But no longer. No longer. See, God stepped in. God defeated our enemies. God stepped in to crush our sin. The devil and the power of death that stood against each and every one of us. See, if God wasn't a warrior, we would be lost. God has the power, the right, but but also the holy character uh, and the ability in a just way to to go to war for us. And he does that through Jesus. The hero at the center of God's true story. The hero who appeared to destroy the devil's work. 1 John 3 verse 8. Through Jesus, the hero whose sin-bearing, wrath-averting death was the time for judgment on this world, when the prince of this world is driven out. John 12, 31. Through Jesus, the hero who has defeated and disarmed the powers and authorities, making a spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Colossians 2, 15. Through Jesus, the hero who by his death has broken the power of him, who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and has set free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Hebrews 2.15 Through Jesus, the hero who has been raised from the dead and is now seated at God's right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Ephesians 1, 20 to 21. Through Jesus, the hero who died but has been raised and will one day seal his triumph when he casts the devil into the lake of burning sulfur. Revelation 20, verse 10. Friends, our God is a warrior. 
We need him to be a warrior. He has defeated our enemies. He has delivered us if we are his people. This is our hope. This is our story. This is our song. And singing about God as warrior might not instinctively be on our character of God Spotify playlist, but maybe it needs to be in the mix more than it is and come higher up the playlist than we currently have it. See, God is a warrior who defeats his enemies and has delivered us from the awful state we were in. See, we were powerless, but he was powerful. We were helpless, but he was committed in covenant love. He went to war for us to show his glory, to to magnify his grace, to bring us into freedom. Friends, we can sing Exodus 15 tonight with joy in our hearts as it shows us God's character. God is still a warrior. He defeats his enemies and has delivered his people. It's a song of God's character. The second movement in this song to get us singing this evening, it also sings to us of God's Purposes, God's character, and now secondly, God's purposes. And this song kind of ends by referring to God's end goal in his deliverance of Israel. Because you see, the rescue from Egypt is is the starter, if you will. The main course is yet to come. See, Israel is brought out of slavery in Egypt in order to be brought into the promised land of Canaan. Listen to how that's described in beautiful language. Verse 13. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Eden will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you brought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands have established. You see the dynamic there? As God brings his people out from slavery, displaying his uniqueness, his grace, his power in the sight of the surrounding nations, God will bring his people to himself. Initially at Mount Sinai, where he gives them the law in a few chapters' time, Exodus chapter 19, but on ultimately to the fulfillment of his covenant promises as he brings his people into the land of Canaan after that. I think that's the main way we're supposed to understand these ideas of God bringing his people to himself. It's pointing us towards the land, I think. And we see two particular aspects of God's purposes in giving the land to Israel here. Firstly, it's underscored that the land is Yahweh's gift. It is his inheritance that he shares with his people. And as we said, this is the goal that God has in mind when he brings them out from slavery in Egypt. That's where the Disney film, The Prince of Egypt, uh, sorry, the DreamWorks film. Gosh, what an awful mistake to make. The Prince of Egypt doesn't get it quite right. If you've seen the film, you know that it ends with the people of Israel gathered to meet God at Sinai. And please hear me, that is hugely significant in the Bible story. I'm not diminishing that for a second. But that is not the end of the Bible story. The great purpose in Yahweh rescuing Israel 
setting them free from slavery in Egypt is to bring them into the good land where they can live in slavery to him. A slavery which is true, perfect, wonderful freedom. The land is Yahweh's gift. But secondly, and even more wonderfully, the land is Yahweh's dwelling place. Did you spot that note and that accent? He himself is found there. He will meet his people there. He will dwell among them. It is, in the words of the psalm, a sanctuary, a holy space, because the Holy One of Israel is encountered there. They will, in that sense, be God's people, in God's place, under God's rule, and so enjoying God's blessing. This is what the song tells us about God's purposes. And friends, God's people are always meant to sing about God's purposes. And it's the same today. So let's sing about God's great purposes in bringing us out of cruel slavery and bringing us into so much. See, we've been set free to worship, to, to serve, to find our life in good slavery to the God who made us. All those ideas, I think, are bound up when we hear promises about the land given to Israel. But maybe the, the clearest way that God's gift of the land to Israel is meant to speak to us as New Testament Christians today is by making us lift our eyes and pointing us forward to the hope that one day God will bring us to himself for all eternity. Not in the land, but, 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 but in a new creation. That is the inheritance that's set before us as New Testament believers. This is the final point on our spiritual journey. God will one day gather us to himself when he returns to this world and recreates it, removing from it all pain and all misery and all brokenness. I think that's the best way for us as Christians to respond to these promises about the land. I personally don't think we're meant to be overly concerned about the spiritual significance of a strip of land in the Middle East any longer. I appreciate we might have differences here, but that's my personal understanding. The land was never meant to be the final reality for God's purposes for his people. Jesus himself promises, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. God's purposes are so much bigger than the land. They include the whole world. So friends, come and encourage us. Let's get singing about God's purposes. Let's lift up our heads and, and our hearts and let's see where God is leading us on in our spiritual journey. Not away from this world, ultimately. Not out of this world, ultimately. But on into this world, ultimately. When it is renewed and remade and restored. After all, that's the way the Bible ends. In John's final vision in Revelation 21. We read there, I saw, John says, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on, the, seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. 
That's where God is leading us. That's the end goal in God's purposes in saving us. This is what we are saved for, friends. And to me, these promises are always good to remember and to reflect on, and I so easily forget them. We so know instinctively, don't we, that something is wrong with our world. If I was to ask you to list the things wrong with the world, I wonder what you would say. People trafficking. Check. Environmental exploitation. Check. Political corruption. Check. Prejudice. Check. Corporate greed. Check. Exploitation of the weak. Check. War. Check. Death. Check. Genocide. Check. See, one day, our Jesus will return to this world to put right all that is wrong with it. And that is amazing. How we need that to happen. How we long for that to happen. But what is most amazing of all is that that new world that we will enjoy one day will be full with the glory, the the goodness, the the radiance, the, the presence, the sheer majesty of our wonderful God, Father, Son, and Spirit. He will bring us to himself. And we will dwell. So, friends, please let's start singing about God's purposes. As I said, it, it is so easy to forget this, isn't it? To take our eyes away from this glorious reality, just to get distracted by life. To say nothing of the, the challenge of these difficult and uncertain days in which we live. And they are that in abundance, friends, aren't they? You know that far better than I do. But as we sing Exodus 15 tonight, we're reminded that God's purposes stretch forward on into an unimaginably glorious future where he will bring us to himself and we will dwell with him forever. This is our hope. This is our story. This is our song. Let's get busy singing about God's purposes. So when do you sing? As we said at the start, singing may not be your thing. But friends, we can all take heart and sing this evening. We are saved, so we sing. We sing about God's character as a warrior who's defeated his enemies and delivered his people. We sing about God's purposes to dwell with us in a new heavens and a new earth. The world we all want, a world of perfect relationships. And so just as Moses, Miriam, and the others sang by the sea all those years ago, we can warm up our voices. We can join in the karaoke song without embarrassment and get singing tonight. See, we worship the same God. We've been rescued, and we too have a great future as they did. So as we finish, what's stopping you singing this evening? Maybe you're unsure about God's character. Well, well, take heart. Look back to the cross. See him as the warrior who fights for you and delivers you. Maybe you're fearful about God's purposes in light of your uncertain future. Well, take heart. Look forward. See what he will do in the future and the hope he gives you today through Jesus. And so even if we don't have good singing voices, let's not hold back. Let's respond with glad and grateful obedience to the command for us. Verse 21, sing to the Lord. 
for he is highly exalted. Let's pray together. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Father God, we confess we, we don't always find it easy or instinctive to imagine and understand and receive this truth that you are a warrior. Father, we, that can be hard for us. And yet we thank you that it is good news that you are who you are. <laughs> and Father, it's good news when the, who you are challenges us because you are not made in our image. We are made in yours. Give us humble hearts to believe who you are based on what we read in these verses. Your great character as the God who fights for his people. The God who delivers his enemies. Uh, uh, delivers his people, fights for his enemies. Uh, fights against his enemies and delivers his people. <laughs> Father, thank you that even if we can't understand all that, thank, may there be comfort for our hearts tonight to look again and see how you have fought for us in your beautiful son, the Lord Jesus. How he has entered our world. How he has borne our curse and our condemnation, facing the judgment of God instead of his people. Thank you for his glorious, triumphant resurrection, his wonderful, majestic exaltation and ascension to your right hand. Thank you that our hope is bound up with him. He is the one who has saved us. He is our hope and our joy. Encourage us in your character tonight, we pray. And Father, encourage us in your purposes too as well. Father, these are difficult days. As, as we prayed in our service earlier, there are many things that would make us uncertain and fearful. The climate in our own country, to say nothing of war and, and, and turmoil in nations far and wide. Father, reassure us tonight of your great purposes, we pray. Purposes that we enjoy now as we are set free from sin, to enjoy and know and, and worship you. And yet purposes that will culminate in something far, far greater and grander than even all that we know now. A new heaven and a new earth. Where we will dwell with you for all eternity, basking in your radiance and glory. In a world made new. Father, please encourage us with these things we pray tonight. Help us, each and every one, to lift our heads, to lift our hearts and look forward. Not in, with confidence in ourselves, but in, with confidence in you. Move us tonight, we pray, and in the days to come, to sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Father, please, we plead this for our joy and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>